Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our group's pastor, John Shaw. Amen. Man, you guys sound good. There is something about worshiping with Christian other believers in the same room that is just so powerful. Oh, I love it. Hey, I missed you guys last week. I hope you guys had a good trip, Memorial Day weekend. This room was a little empty. We had a whole section over here with like nobody in it. Like, so welcome back. We missed you. It's good to have you. Hey, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans 13. That's where we're going to be camping out today. So a little known fact about me, fun fact, it's probably not a fun fact for you. It's probably not even an interesting fact for you. So fact about me, uh, I'm a little bit uh, of a political junkie. Like, I, I like to know what's going on in our world, what's going on politically, all these things and intricacies. And because of that, when I read this passage for us today, I was a little bit hesitant. Oh, no. Why in the world would Paul write this? Why would Paul write about respecting government? Why would he write about respecting authorities? Why would he write about paying our taxes, right? Like, I'm pretty sure at the end of this message, like, nobody in this room is going to like me. <clears throat> Last night, our facilities director texted me, and he said, just make sure you move around a lot so the tomatoes don't hit you, you know? <laughs> so we made sure the security team kept you from bringing any of those in here. Like, this is a divisive issue. Like, it's been a hard couple of years, hasn't it? Like, it's been a hard couple of weeks, hasn't it? Like, we have never been this politically divided, have we? Like, like Paul could have never understood what he was writing into for us today, right? Wrong, actually. Like, as I was doing my research and my studying, like, I've never studied so hard for a sermon before in my life. Like, trust me, I put in the time on this one. We have always been divided. Just think back 160 years ago in this country. A little war that we fought amongst ourselves. Hundreds of thousands of people died. The founding of our country was a political act. Like, shortly after we were founded, politicians were literally shooting at each other in duels over political disagreements. And as I was doing this research, like, for the past hundreds of years, like, I would read sermon after sermon, and each one would start, we've never been so politically divided. We've never been so politically divided. We've never been so politically... We always have been politically divided. This, this passage that we're reading today speaks into every generation, every age, every person. And it deals with, with how do we, as a believer, live in this world and not be a part of this world, and how should we treat our government and those in authority over us? So join me, Romans 13, verse 1. Let everyone, like everyone, like I tried to find a loophole for us, guys. There is no loophole. This is every person, every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities, rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do what is right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? 
Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoers. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. Like if you have a paper Bible, maybe underline that. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If, you, if revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Like it's a tough passage, right? Anybody want to come up here and preach this for me? I'll let you. Like, this is a controversial subject. Like, this is a controversial topic. Churches throughout the generations have struggled with this. Governments throughout the years have used this passage to try to coerce the church into doing what it wants to. The Nazis, before and during World War II, used this verse to get their population, their church population, to do what they wanted to do. And for the most part, the church kind of rolled over and did what they said. So hear me say this right at the beginning. This is not an end-all, be-all statement from Paul that the church just do whatever the government says. That's not what this is. And also, like, don't hear that Paul is writing this, like thinking as he's writing this, some, sometime down the road, a couple hundred years from now, there's going to be this country called America, and there's going to be all these rights and, and, and voting and all this. Like, no. Like, we like to read into a text our own worldview and what we see, and that's not the case. When I was at Johnson, uh, our professors always say context is key. Context is key. They would drive that point into us. See, only when we understand who the writer is writing to, why the writer is writing to it, could we then pull out some ideas and and things for us to apply to our lives today. And Paul, see, here is writing to a group of believers that have been marginalized. So the the Jews looked at these Christians as polytheists. They believe in the Trinity, a triune God, so they can't believe in anything. The the Romans and the the Gentiles, they looked at them as atheists because they prayed to an invisible God. So no one really liked the Christians. And because of this, and maybe part of this is why Christians didn't like government. See, government had regulated the Christians. Government had kicked them out of Rome. Only recently had they been able to return. Government has taxed them. Like, and there'd be every temptation in them to pursue kind of like a political zealotry that they would be tempted to join up with these groups and take up arms and go after the government and overthrow the government. And Paul is writing, no, this is not the avenue you should pursue. Rather, To the best of your ability, you should seek to obey the laws of the land. And this includes paying taxes. Like someone would say, no, I'm not paying my taxes. They kicked me out of Rome. Why would I pay my taxes? Like, I don't even know where that money's going. And can I just remind you really quick that even Jesus told us to pay our taxes? He literally said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Like, This is important, and think about this, because this statement, the second part of that, is more important than that first part. That second statement is way more important. The first part says, pay your taxes. The second part says, government has 
ownership over your property. They can take your property. They can, they can conscript your sons and daughters into the army, and they can do all kinds of things because the government does all kinds of things. But that second part says that you have the imprint of God on you. That just like the coin has the image of Caesar on it, you have the imprint of God. Every single human being has God's image on him and her, the Imago Dei. And that makes a categorical distinction between the rights that Caesar has and what he can't have. And in and, and the scheme of things, Caesar's rights are puny. Like when you look at eternity, what Caesar has claimed to is tiny. He can lay claim to our money, but he can never lay claim to our soul. There is honor due to the emperor, but it's not the honor of God. Just remember what Peter and John said in Acts 5.29. We must obey God rather than human beings. And you notice he says human beings. He doesn't say government. He doesn't say, uh, he doesn't say like Caesar or the Sanhedrin or any specific group because this is a broad, uh, a broad thing that we can all understand because it doesn't matter who is in authority over us that this has application. Just think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament. This is an ongoing thing. There's a limit to what Caesar can demand, and that limit is the distinction between the coin and a human being. And so what Paul is saying to these believers in Rome that are being drawn into this politically, political zealotry, into political extremism, that think that this is the way we can achieve our goals, that we can take up arms and overthrow the government, we can get all the freedom that we have. And Paul is saying, no, no good will come to the gospel by followers of Jesus who are already regarded as scum of the earth as crazy distance, dissidents who won't even cooperate with the basic societal norms. I love how N.T. Wright sums it up. He says, see, Paul is anxious precisely because he believes that Jesus is the true Lord of the world, that his followers should not pick unnecessary quarrels with lesser lords. They are indeed a revolutionary community, but if they go for the normal type of violent revolution, they will just be playing the empire back at its own game and will almost certainly lose. And much more than that, the gospel itself will lose them. Remember when I said I was a little bit of a political junkie? If you were to look at my social media, none of you would know that. Why is that? Because I never want my political leanings to get between somebody and their relationship with Jesus. Like I have strong political leanings, and I am happy to have a conversation with you about that, if I have a relationship with you and I know that our conversation will not get between you and Jesus because it's not important. Like, really, my political leanings are, for the most part, not a spiritual issue at all. Do you know what attracted me to Northridge when I was looking to come out here? Mike and Adam were adamant that Northridge was not going to be a political church. It was not going to be a Democrat church. It was not going to be a Republican church. It was going to be the church. I love that. As long as I am a part of Northridge, Northridge is going to be known for its love, not its politics. Northridge is going to be known for its involvement in the community, not its involvement in elections. Northridge is going to be known as a church that preaches Jesus and Jesus only and not a poor me, the church, the government is after me and this is all wrong kind of church. That's a church I could get behind because none of this matters. 
I mean, it matters. But in the scheme of things, none of this matters except for the people you know Jesus. Right? Because for you and I, when people learn what Jesus has done for them, and they have the love, and they change internally, and they love others like, like Jesus loved them, what's going to cause our divide to change? Jesus. See, none of the activism, none of the posturing and the posting and the debating and the condemning and the berating is going to change a thing. Only Jesus will change a thing. And, and don't hear me, that doesn't mean that we don't talk about political issues that are also moral issues. Like there are some things that, that you and I have to talk about, like abortion, some things that are morally abhorrent that we have to have conversations about, but we have to do it in a loving way. We have to do it in a way where there is right relationship and right understanding. And, and can I just get on my soapbox for just a second? When we talk about even these spiritual moral issues, social media is not the place for it. it is not, can, can I, by, by a show of hands, has anybody in here ever had their mind changed by somebody's political post on, on Facebook, social media, whatever? Like everybody look around. There is not a hand up. Like can we agree that, that posting on social media changes nothing? Do you know what it does do though? Like for me personally, I don't, I don't know about you. For me personally, even if I agree with your political posts, even if I agree with them and you're posting over and over again, I'm going to stop listening to you. It wearies me. If I disagree with you, do you know what happens? Anything else good that you say is tainted by what you posted. And so... That's why I don't post anything on Facebook. I don't want anybody to ever hear anything negative about Jesus because of my political leanings, which are of no consequence. So can, can you and I as a church just agree to keep the th main thing the main thing? Like, can we agree that Jesus is the only thing that's going to change anything? And when you have those discussions, because it, it'll happen, like, do it in person. You, you can't hear somebody's tone on a Facebook post. You don't know their heart. Man, and then the trolls. It's just unnecessary. And all it does is hurt the kingdom of God. So back to our original point. I think that this idea is even more applicable to the church and America today. Because for a while there in America, like the church was held a little bit on a pedestal, right? Christians, like maybe everybody didn't believe in it, but they at least kind of held, held Christians up to a higher standard. They kind of looked up to them. As our world changes, and it, and it is changing, and Christians and our government no longer looks like us and perhaps even looks down on us, like what Paul is writing about is more relevant than you could understand. And we have to know how to live at peace with that. So there's a couple things Paul tells us that we should pay attention to. First is that, that he declares that civic rules and authorities have been put in place by God. Like Nero would have laughed at this. Nero was the Caesar at the time. And he would have laughed because he believed, or at least claimed to believe, that he was God himself. But 
We are to believe as Christians that civic authorities, great and small, are there because God wants his world to be ordered, not chaotic. This point is emphasized by Jesus when he declared to Pontius Pilate right before he was killed that, that you would have no power over me at all unless it was given to you by, from above. This does not validate the actions of any particular government. It's merely to say that some government is always necessary in a world where evil flourishes when unchecked. And you know what makes this even more interesting? Like coming from Paul? Like Paul knew how evil, how corrupt government can be. Like Paul had been imprisoned how many times? He had been whipped and beaten and arrested so many times. Like he knew how bad government was and he said this multiple times. He said it here and he says it again in Titus 3. And then Peter pulls from this in 1 Peter 2. Like, this isn't something that they would have said accidentally. Like, this is purposeful, something that you and I need to wrestle with and listen to. Because Paul knew that Christians were likely to get in quite enough trouble for other far more serious things and should be good citizens as far as they can. And figuring out that boundary between where, where obeying government is worshiping God and where when obeying government is the only way to disobey God. Like there's, there's a fine line there that you have to spend time discerning and struggling with. And that's more than I could ever do in any sermon. But we do know this, that government itself is a gift. Anarchy is the curse. There's no authority except that which has been ordained by God. And we're thankful for government in the same way that we are horrified by the thought of anarchy. So we know that government has a proper claim on us. It's a massive claim, but it's not a limitless claim. It's not an eternal claim. It's not a spiritual claim. For God has created to keep anarchy at bay. And the Christians Paul were writing to would have had much to lament about government and its authority over them. But even the early fathers, the early Christian fathers and pastors at the time, go on to write that it was because of Rome, this evil empire, that Christianity was able to spread so fast. Like it's not that Rome wanted to do this. But Rome did so by regularity, by building roads and construction and the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And because of that, Christianity was able to move, Christians and Christianity was able to move around the world in a way that they had never been able to before and rarely after. My final point is that it's still about love. Like, I don't know if you've ever read this passage and noticed, I never noticed this before, but this, this passage of scripture is tucked in between two other passages about love. I don't think Paul is diverting from this theme of love. I think it's part of it. Because, and Jonathan talked about this so well last week. Paul is revealing that, that our love for God is, is through how we love those around us. And that includes the government. That means that we look different. That means we rebel differently. That means we pay our taxes it means we respect those in authority, even when we feel like they don't deserve or have earned our respect. Like, that's a hard thing, guys. As an American guy, like, I was taught growing up, like, you get my respect if you earn my respect, right? No, and Paul is saying, no. You respect the position, not the person. 
And that is a hard thing. But I think the early church listened to Paul. I think they got it. Can I read you an expert, an excerpt of a letter that was written about 100 years after Paul? And this is one person kind of looking at Christians and describing them to somebody else. And I think it's so powerful. Christians are not differentiated from other people by country, language, or customs. You see, they do not live in cities of their own or speak some strange dialect. They live in both Greek and foreign cities, wherever chance has put them. They follow local customs and clothing, food, and other aspects of life. But at the same time, they demonstrate to us the unusual form of their own citizenship. They marry and have children just like everyone else, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They offer a shared table, but not a shared bed. They are passing their days on earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey the appointed laws and go beyond the laws in their own lives. They love everyone but are persecuted by all. They are put to death and gain life. They are poor and yet make many rich. They are dishonored and yet gain glory through dishonor. Their names are blackened, yet they are clear. They are mocked and blessed in return. They are treated outrageously and yet behave respectfully to others. Man, I love that. Do you think, do you think an outsider looking at the church today would say the same thing about us? I don't, I don't know. Man, I wish it were true. I live my life in a way to make that true. Man, and I hope that you would join me in that. So here's my sermon in a sentence. After tons of research and study, Paul is saying what Paul is saying. Respect authorities, but live for God. And man, that is hard. Just just think about the next time you get pulled over for a speeding ticket or some other moving violation. Or the next time that government passes some kind of law or regulation that affects the way that you do business. Or there's a new tax that's passed and you have less money in your pocket. Or at school, some authority in school changes the rules and you can no longer achieve the goal that you are going after. What are you going to do? What are we going to do? Are we going to demand our rights as Americans? Or are we going to respectfully speak our mind and love them anyway? Because the way that we address these things has far greater consequences than any of these political issues. The way we live our lives in regards to these cannot be overstated in regards to our kingdom impact. Remember, submission does not always mean that we agree. And disagreement and a desire for things to change does not violate our requirement to submit to authority placed over us. So we cannot use either as an excuse to not do what God has called us to do. Our task in each and every moment is to discern God's will and to discern when obeying government is worshiping God and when obeying government is disobeying God. And I can't answer that for you. Let me just leave you with what Paul said in 13, 7. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay your taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. And if honor, then honor. 
Now, God, this is a hard passage, but I get it. I understand why you wrote it for us. And so I pray for you to soften our hearts. For those in authority over us, God, that you will show us how to love them when they do not feel lovable to us. God, we pray for our leaders of this country. We pray for our president. God, we pray for our senators, for our representatives, God, for our government and our local authorities and police officers and anyone who holds a position over us. Teach us how to respect when it is hard. Teach us to love when it feels impossible. Teach us to do all that you call to do so that your name might be made great. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridge.online.